I confess at the outset that I, alas, did not actually come up with an answer to the question that inspired this sermon. Or rather, I did not come up with a very satisfying answer. I was wondering about the word beloved in beloved community and wondered how it differed from loved community or loving community or lovable community, for that matter. Turns out, according to most definitions, I found beloved simply means really, really, really loved. One source, however, suggested that beloved was most appropriately used to speak of an individual. I could speak of loved ones, for example, but in referring to my beloved, I would mean a specific person. This does not quite jibe with the image of the minister presiding over the wedding or funeral, maybe only in movies, beginning his, usually his, statements to the assembled with dearly beloved. Nor, I might add, does it jibe with philosopher Josiah Royce and many who came after, including Martin Luther King Jr., talking about beloved community. Not beloved person beloved individual, but beloved community. And Royce, in his philosophical language, drives that distinction between individual love and this concept of beloved community. He draws that distinction, saying, when we love them, individuals, our love, however ideal or devoted, has its level and its value determined by their own. And if this love for human individuals is the only form of human love that we know, both our morality and our religion are limited accordingly and remain on a correspondingly lower level. And though Royce sounds rather condescending here, talking about lower levels, I don't think he's saying that there is anything wrong with that love we experience for individuals based on their qualities and our interaction with and relationship to them. Indeed, it is common to think of this when one speaks of love. Novelist and essayist George Orwell, in an essay on Gandhi, writes, To an ordinary human being, love means nothing if it does not mean loving some people more than others. There is nothing wrong or lower about that love. I think Royce is saying that as far as a moral and or ethical grounding, that definition of love is insufficient. As far as the love that guides his vision of beloved community, it is insufficient. The love of beloved community recognizes that we are all connected, that we are, in Royce's words, all branches growing from a single vine. And because we love the vine from which we grow, we love each and every branch, regardless of its individual shape or height or twists and turns. This love is an intention, a choice, and it is extended to those we know and those we do not yet know and may never know. Because we have chosen to love the community, we love all who are part of the community, and when he is talking about the beloved community to which he aspires, that community includes 
everyone. No child left behind. You see, beloved community is not a community of individuals who are completely and consistently lovable. Although you all are exceptions, of course. But this love does not rely on the shifting sands of lovability, nor even on the shifting sands of my capacity to feel loving. In the flip side to Orwell's comment, a quote attributed to everyone on the Internet from Edna St. Vincent Millay to Albert Einstein and showing up in many versions. But this quote says basically, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. But beloved community as an ideal transcends both of those very human tendencies. One, to base love or lack of love on individual characteristics, to avoid love for humanity in favor of love for particular humans. Or, to avoid love for particular humans in favor of a lofty, if ethereal, love for humanity. Beloved community challenges us to be loving to human individuals by grounding our love in love for humanity. Ashley Montague once described love as the communication through demonstrative acts of your profound involvement in the welfare of others, such that you give them the encouragements, supports, sustenance, and stimulation they require for their unique development and fulfillment. And we know how this works. I sometimes tell people who are receiving help from the discretionary fund that members of this congregation donate to this fund, and they want you to know that though they do not know you and may not ever meet you, they love you and care about your well-being. We know what it is to love out beyond our circle because it is actually within our circle, within the one circle that holds us all. This love makes a profound difference in the lives of individuals. And while it may be encouraged and inspired by individuals, it is sustained and restored in the common love shared by the community. The common intention to love the ever-renewing choice to love, and the rigorous practice of loving. And practice involves education and reflection and self-awareness, digging deep, getting really honest about assumptions and preconceptions and judgments and perspectives. Singing We Shall Overcome This Morning brings up Rightly so, some questions. How do we sing that together from our various positions and our diverse experiences? How do I understand that song singing not from a place of oppression, but from a place of privilege as a member of the dominant and all too destructive culture? What, pray tell, do I need to overcome? Well, 
How about this? From Isabel Wilkerson's phenomenal book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. By adulthood, researchers have found most Americans have been exposed to a culture with enough negative messages about African Americans and other marginalized groups that as much as 80% of white Americans hold unconscious bias against black Americans, bias so automatic that it kicks in before a person can process it, according to the Harvard sociologist David Williams. This is the frightening point, he says, because it's an automatic process and it's an unconscious process. People who engage in this unthinking discrimination are not aware of. They are not lying to you when they say, I didn't treat that person differently, and I treat everyone the same. They mean it, because consciously that is the way they see themselves. These implicit biases shape their behavior in ways they are not even aware of. The research suggests that, again, about 80% of whites fall into this category. Might there be a way for this white American to overcome that bias that has been intentionally hidden so well, so deep into my psyche that I can honestly claim quite the opposite? Am I willing to do the work that that entails? Oh, see the darkness yielding that tore the light apart. Come, healing of the reason. Come, healing of the heart. This is the task we have set for ourselves. This is the mission of deepening connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy, true joy, joy that does not rest uneasily on another's misfortune, but joy that comes in the work of healing ourselves and the world, letting the light of our chalice melt away the tethers that uphold whiteness in our midst, spark in us a spirit of humility, ignite in us radical love that transforms our energy into purposeful action. Until we realized we have arrived at that home where we have never been. A circle of friends, a circle of healing, a circle of community that holds the whole world. And we call it beloved.